back with another edition of Leo G Show. I am Leo G, and podcasting is what I do, I guess, for now. Um, 2020 has been what it's been, and I just keep rolling out the episodes. And tonight, we're going to do uh, another, uh, I don't know if it's one of my favorite topics to do, but, you know, hey, since it's, it's popular right now, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to get uncomfortable talking about politics because I, I'm very uncomfortable talking about it. So we don't have Jay tonight. Or do we have Jay? No, we don't have Jay tonight. But I do have Miss Aisha from my Midtown Life. Aisha, how are you? Yes, the next best thing to Jay because I think he's great. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks I'm for doing having well. me back. Absolutely. You know, we were going to do this. We we're going to bring it back. And of course, we'll do it again. And we'll, we'll continue to talk about these things because they're very, very relevant right now. Right. Oh, absolutely. Ab- we need to be talking about it. We do. We really, really do. So the last political episode that we talked about was the election, which happened about a week ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, President, it was general election here in this country. And we talked about Joe Biden. And and the standing president now, I don't even like saying his name, but Joe Biden <laughs> versus the standing the president, other. <laughs> the other. Yes, other. And so we talked about election night. And for me, there was some shock. But, you know, I guess for you, Aisha, you saw you said you saw what transpired. You saw it coming. You had the crystal ball. You were able to say, you know what? I saw this coming. And so now we move forward. And, and right now, as it stands. Joe Biden is set to be the next president of the United States, the 46th president of the United States with right as of right as of right now, he has the most electoral votes to put him in the presidency. Aisha, how do we get to this? I think this is amazing. I think that this is the natural sequence of this country. I think that we still need to be on guard and on edge. Don't get me wrong. We can get into that. But in terms of Georgia, I saw the blue wave coming. I saw it sort of starting to gain momentum in the last election. And between 2016 and 2020, we just had so many boots on the ground. We had so many people talking about, you know, we give so much credit and it's credit due to Stacey Abrams. Do not get me wrong, but there were so many people in and around Atlanta that really mobilized people to get out and vote that had never voted before, clearly. So even though the election hasn't been called in Georgia, and you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it, we're in a recount, I did see the blue wave coming. I really did. Okay, well, I will say that things have changed here in the state of Georgia quite a bit. And I attribute to that, like you said, uh, Stacey Abrams. We had a, a gubernatorial election here a couple of years ago um, that didn't go very, very well. Um, we had... Of course, the governor of Georgia now, Brian Kemp, who was at the time the secretary of state during that mm-hmm. election. It was George a little bit of conflict of interest. Right. Overseeing exactly. his uh, own just, uh, election. Just a tad bit. Just a tad bit of conflict. Right. Him yeah. being the secretary of state, that office being the person that is over the elections here in the state. And he was able to win. The, the, gubernatorial, the gubernatorial race. I hope Maybe. I'm not butchering that. But. No, no, no. And you know what? I'm sure we'll talk about concessions too, but I remember the day that Stacey Abrams said, this is not a concession. Because I, listen, uh, it was all too much. 
I do not think she lost that election. I think what are, what are, what are, what are con- what are concessions anyway, right? What are, what are what are they? And I'm gonna get into that in just a moment. We'll talk about that in just a second. So, yeah, Stacey Abrams deserves a lot of credit for what has happened here in the state of Georgia. She made it her her, her work to change a lot of things here. Uh, voter suppression being one of those things, and just changing how we look at voting period in the state of Georgia. And I think a lot of other states are going to, a lot of other people in different states are going to take a page out of her book and go in and just look at, you know, how, you know, it, voting and the things in those in different states have transpired and what can they do to change? Because let's be realistic. We want everybody to vote. We want everybody to have a voice. We don't want anybody to be suppressed, right? Well, so, we, you and I may want everyone to vote, but I think that there are lots of people who are not interested in the majority of people who are voting. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in the grand scheme of things, the way this country was built, we want everybody to have a voice and everybody to vote. We've gotten to a point now from the inception of this country to where we are now where we want everybody that is able to vote to have an opportunity to do so and have that voice. So Stacey Abrams made it her mission in this state to do that and give everybody a voice. And we saw it happen here in the general election. People came out in big numbers and voted here in the state of Georgia. And as of right now, uh, Joe Biden is up about 14,000 votes. We're going into a recount. Aisha, I want to get your thoughts on this recount. Uh, there are certain laws in the state, in different states here in Georgia. Uh, because of the margin, there has to be a recount. We're going to an actual hand recount. Aisha, yeah. how do you feel about that? Well, I don't know that there has to be a recount, but I think if your run is close enough, you can uh, require a recount. And I'm a competitor, right? So when I run for office and it's this close, of course, it never would be. I would demand a recount. Um, I think, however, the Trump regime, cabinet, whatever you want to call it, I think they know that they have lost, but it's an ultimate, can you curse on here? I'll just say F you. It's an ultimate F you to make the people of Georgia and our election board have to count over 5 million votes by hand in less than a week. So, I mean, I think that's an incredible F you, I don't, you know, I don't even know what else. And, 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 by, the, and, and by the way, you, you can cut, you can cuss on oh, here. You can say, yes, the ultimate fuck you. Yes. you can It say was it. a fuck you to Georgia. <laughs> and guess what you're going to do now? Although, you know, the people who sign up for the job, they understand the people who are doing the recount. They understand what's at stake. Um, and I believe he will lose again. I mean, I have no qualms about that. The state is changing. I don't think he expected that. And I think the good old boys, the powers that have been in Georgia, cannot believe that one of their states has gone blue. And I don't think it's turning back ever. I really well, here, don't. Well here's, well, here's the thing. We talked about this on the last episode. Yeah, it, it's trending. It's trending blue. It's trending left. Uh, there are a lot of people in this state that have moved from other places. We talked about this, that their political views and ideology are very, very progressive. Now, here's the thing. And, I, and I've talked about this and I want to get your feedback on how this transpired and what brought us to this. There's one big thing that happened going into this election that changed everything. And that's this mm. pandemic. Okay. Sure. I talked to, to a lot of my friends, friends and constituents and coworkers about, Hey, you know, how do you feel about Trump? What's going on? What's going to happen in 2020? And, and before this pandemic, and we always see this with standing presidents, right? 
if things are going okay, most of the time, Stanley Pratt, they're elected for another four years. It's like, okay, hey, you know what? Yeah, we've had very Every, few one-term presidents. Presidents, mm-hmm. exactly. So it's like, you know, I, I think the, mo- as the most recent that we saw, if I go, we go all the way, we, we have to go all the way back to uh, George Bush. No, it was George Bush and Clinton, actually. George Bush was a one-term president, and Bill Clinton ended up coming in, I think it was 90, I can't remember the, it's not 92, if I'm not mistaken, and he ended up uh, becoming the president, and George Bush only served uh, one term. So the pandemic changed things for this election, right? If we didn't have this pandemic, do you think it was safe to say that maybe, maybe, just maybe, possibly, that the base of Donald Trump would have said, you know what, we're okay. He's 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 done okay. We're not really satisfied with everything, but we're, we're okay. Let's can let's vote for him. Or did this pandemic change everything? I don't know that it changed everything, and that's so hard for me to say because I I think I sit in such a left leaning community and place, and sort of you know even my news feeds. It's very hard to think about if there was no. And come pandemic. on, you still you still you, you still live in Georgia. Ice. You still live in. Georgia. I like to say I live in three hundred three blank blank. I don't like to say the whole state. No, I can't. I I don't think that. First of all, it, it whatever Trump does to his base, it doesn't matter. There was a man I'll never forget this picket sign. He said, "My son died from COVID nineteen because of insurance issues, and I'm still voting for Trump." So his base will follow him blindly. It doesn't matter how poorly he's done as a commander in chief regarding this pandemic. They were going to support him anyway. So I don't think the pandemic, I think there's a very narrow population of Trump supporters from 2016 that said, oh, you know what? He did such a poor job with the pandemic. I'm no longer going to vote for him. There are those people, but I think there were a sliver. I think, I mean, clearly the majority of the people that voted for him in 2016 went out to the polls and voted again. I think what we did, or sort of people on the other side did, was to bring people who had not voted. At least in Georgia, that was a huge part. 800,000 people who had not voted in 2016 came out to vote in 2020. And maybe that's because of the pandemic. But again, you know, we've only had a pandemic. I shouldn't say only, but that's just, you know, at this point, uh, 2020. Before that, the Trump administration had made so many mistakes uh, and errors, and that still didn't affect their base, but it affected the rest of us. The rest of us were watching and noticing. So I don't know. I don't know that the pandemic sealed his fate. I think um, I always think his uh, the superior court judge that he elected, Amy Comey Barrett, I think that sealed his fate. I think that conservatives do not need a Donald Trump if they can have someone like her on the bench and they got her. And so many of them were either didn't vote or they got into that voting booth and voted for Joe Biden because they realized that Trump is very dangerous. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I still feel like the pandemic played a very, very large part into the reason why a lot of people voted for Joe Biden. And the reason I said it is because we really, I don't want to say we, but we looked at it as the United States collectively as a whole, right? And the leader of the United States as of right now is still that guy, okay? And we did not perform well under 
the circumstances. We didn't. Okay. If you look at other countries, just specifically off the top of my head, and this is not even, I didn't even do any research, but specifically off the top of my head, I could look at a couple of different countries that did things differently and were able to, 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 to fare off better. I mean, you look at New Zealand, for example, you look at, uh, well, it came from China, right? It's the Kung Fu. Yes, but they still were able to turn the curve way faster than we could. Exactly. You look at, China specifically, you look at New Zealand specifically. I like to look at New Zealand. And of course, we're talking about, you know, population wise, not the population of the United States, but they were able to do a lot of things to curb what's going on. And like I said, they don't have any cases right now in New Zealand. Another country that I like to look at, Sweden. Sweden took a different approach. I would challenge a lot of people to go in and research what Sweden did. Shout out to one of my coworkers that, that told me to look at what Sweden did with the herd immunity early on. The early, uh, early on with the onset of what was going on, they looked at herd immunity. They turned that on and did some other things, and and they've not had the problems that we've had here. Also, Canada, Canada uh, with Trudeau up there, they they're doing some things that are, are different and that having better results than we have here. I think the pandemic played a very very vital role in what happened in this election. Aisha, we we can't ignore it. I don't think it can be ignored. I just don't know if it would have changed the outcome because again i mean there have been so you know there are so many things i mean we don't even have time for the list of things that i think were done um in poor judgment and really without any kind of direction from this administration so the pandemic is just the icing on the cake and unfortunately there are a lot of, but, but there are a lot of there are a lot of complacent people right I, I talk about this a lot there are a lot of complacent people we know people that they don't even really get into politics until it's time to vote, right? They don't see anything else that is going on until, okay, a couple of months before it's time to vote, we need to look at it and see what's going on. And this was on the radar, right? This was this was something that was on the radar and it affected a lot of people, right? And, you know, I, I think that, and this is just my opinion and I know, where you, I know how you feel about it, but had this not happened, he could have flown completely under the radar against that guy who he said repeatedly, that guy, Joe Biden, who I feel is like he's completely and utterly embarrassed to lose an election to Joe Biden. He could have flew completely under the radar, completely under the radar with what he was doing and still maintain his base and a large part of some of the people. Because there's a lot of people in his base that actually say, you know what? This can't be right. I have to do something. You know, else. and 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 I, you keep alluding to that. I guess I have sort of in my mind a different Trump supporter. And okay, you know, people come in all different packages. But again, it, he didn't need to do anything under the radar. I mean, we've heard his statements. I don't even want to be redundant. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot someone, and you'd still vote for me. I mean, these are the types of things that. And when he says that to his crowd. They are jumping up and down. So it didn't need to be under the radar. I don't think without a pandemic, it would have been a grave difference. I really don't. Because I think the people who were right there beside him, they, first of all, they don't read the news, clearly. Anyone who's going to a rally with 20,000 well, people. Because, because, because the news is fake news, right? 
Well, the, and you know what? I got to tell you, I think I said this before. When he said that the lame stream media, I, when I heard that about a year or two ago, I literally was on the floor laughing. But my whole point is, I think there's a large part of his base. And I'm not talking about his maybe super wealthy friends. I'm talking about the average everyday person, working class person that is that committed to him. They're very uninformed. So I don't think they are looking at his policies or what he's saying in terms of what is going to impact their lives. They're just kind of, they're literally just fired up. You know, that I've never seen for any president. My goodness, it is just like a, 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 they're entranced. So, so, so let's, let's, let's take a look at it and let's break that down for, for a minute. And then we'll move, we'll move on and talk about some other things. Let's break that down. So where, where is it that they, they're just there? Because it, to me, it's very intriguing to me too, to see that a lot of things he's missed the mark on a lot of things he's haven't, hasn't been able to do here, but for some reason, these people are just so loyal well, I don't think it's some reason, and I, and I say this all the time, and, and it's not that I'm defending some of these people necessarily, but uh, what has happened? I don't care if you're a conservative or a liberal, Democrat, Republican, working class people, poor people, people who live below the middle class line are left out of the dialogue, and that's hard. So these are people who have gone through terrible public school systems. Uh, they cannot get support. Many, many times, even if you're a skilled trade person, you haven't been able to really live above water in a way that I suppose, you know, quote unquote, you should be able to do. So I think there's something legitimate about their pain. What's unfortunate is he has been able to use that pain and expose it. I mean, he's not interested in the working class person at all. He can't, he can relate in terms of getting in front of an audience and rallying them up. But he has no, right. He, he sleeps on sheets that are more expensive than what the average salary worker is bringing home in a year. There, there have been a couple relate. of things. That, there have been a couple of things that he's been able to like. You know, he he's found his base, and there are a couple of things. You know, of course, you know, racism is one of the biggest things that I think he's found that he's been able to use to his advantage. Whether or not he wants to, you know, there, there's been some debate whether or not you know is he a, is is he a racist or is he just using that that to 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 you know strengthen his base. Because, you know, a lot of people, you know, because let's just be realistic. There are a lot of black people. There are a lot of Latinos that that voted for him, that support him. So my thing is, is like, you know, okay, do you accept the fact that he uses racism as a tool, as a political tool to say, okay, hey, you know what? I am not going to condemn racism based upon the fact that I, I will lose a percentage of my base. Because I've heard a lot of people say that, you know what? I accept him. I don't think he's racist, but he won't condemn it because it's a political strategy. Is that well, right? Okay. Well, I got to tell you, I have a very good friend who was um, sort of parallel when one of her very good friends was on The Apprentice. So this woman went to New York. She was all in the mix. She spent days and days and days with Donald Trump. This must have been the early 2000s. And I remember in 2016, 17, when the racist rumble was just as loud as it is now, I asked her, I said, do you think, or did you think he was a racist when you met him? And she spent some time with him and she said, absolutely not. This is all surprising. So I dug a little further. 
I went to Breitbart and Steve Bannon and Jeff Sessions. They were already in a movement of this alt-right, this extremely racist voice. And they brought it to Trump. And I have reason to believe this. And they said, here is a sure way for you to win the presidency. And because he's narcissistic and or it must feel very good to be the president, he took the bait. I think that he always had racist ideologies. We saw in 1980, I'm not sure, where he took out newspaper ads against Central Park Park, Five. Central Park Five. So he has had these issues. But would we have called him an out-and-out racist? I don't know. But when he decided to attach himself to this very dissatisfied group of Americans, and I think they have a reason to be dissatisfied, uh, but it's unfortunate, again, This was just a manipulation. This was just a way of getting to the presidency. And the people, again, the people who were manipulated, they still don't see it like that. So I think that just as they can ignore it, I think the black people ignore it too. You know, they're thinking, okay, the Democratic Party has left me out of the conversation or I'm no further along than I would have been in 1965. Why would I keep voting this way? So, you know, they're not looking at the particulars about what he's saying, which I think is very dangerous. It it, 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 it is. I I will say that too. Like I said, it's very, very confusing, very, because sometimes I'm very perplexed just listening to some of the things that he says and he's very, very meticulous and careful about how he says stuff and phrases things because he doesn't well, I think want it's conniving. to. Uh, you know, everyone likes to say he's not a smart person. I, I think he actually, uh, you know, he's um, had a lot of handlers. I don't know if he, act, you know, there's some controversy as to whether or not he actually went to college, but um, he's a conniving person. There's a strategy to him that, you know, maybe you don't see it coming, but it's there. Yeah, like I said, uh, we've talked about the dog whistles in the past. We've talked about the things that he's done. And and like I said, very careful not to lose his base. Very careful not to say certain things because he knows, okay, hey, if I say this, I'm going to lose this portion of people. Racist or not, racist or not, whether he is racist or not, he walks that line to where he doesn't want to say anything to to lose that racist base because it's part is of insane. I mean, who who on earth would be willing? It's to power in politics. A racist? Sure, it's but power I actually, and politics. people get upset when I say this. I think if he had not been approached by Steve Bannon and Jeff Sessions, who he did not know before 2015, let's be very clear about this. I still think there was a way for him to have won. I think. People, I'm someone who likes outsiders. So if somebody was coming to me and said, you know what, I am not a career politician and the left and the right are not doing it right, I'm going to do it a different way, I would get behind that person. But I think there was no collective voice, people like me, for him to sort of be in front of. And he really needed and wanted to win. So in order to do that, he took the bait from the racist. And it is, it's just, you know, what has come about from that is just so sad. And you really, you really have to be mentally off to capture the pain of people doing this, the hatred of people promoting this and decide to be their leader. I mean, you, you, you have to be terribly off to do that. Let's just say that. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. So let's move, let's move move into another uh thing here so i want to talk a little bit about so we know now that as it stands even with the recounts and some of the lawsuits if you want to call them whatever the hell they are 
they don't really hold water. But right as of right now, Joe Biden has enough electoral votes to 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 become the next president of the United States. But you know, so we'll talk about concessions. We'll talk about you know concessions. Donald Trump is not can see. I can't believe I said his name. I'm about to throw up. <laughs> so he's not at as of right now. He's he hasn't conceded. And this is something that I learned as well here recent as of recently. Concessions and conceding. It's, it's nothing legal about it. You don't have to. Yes, I understand. It's a courtesy. Correct. It's a, it is. It's a, it's a courtesy that you, you know, but here's the thing. In the past, we've had, you know, Senator John McCain, like, mm-hmm. uh, President George uh, George Bush. Uh, H.W. These people, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, H.W. Bush. These people have had the decency because of who they were and the character of who they were to concede, to call their opponent, even as, as of recently as Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton also went and conceded and called Donald Trump to say, okay, hey, you know what? Because I think the nation, they, they understand that the nation needs that, right? To see that, that, that they're going to stand behind the next commander in chief. Well, it's diplomacy, right? Like it's, yes, it, it's not something you have to do. It's something you should do. Um, and I, I will never forget, you know, in 2015, uh, Donald Trump was on Twitter. He was making outrageous statements. I think this was after he insulted. I don't know what Mexican person would ever vote for him. But anyway, it was after those statements. And someone said to him, um, this isn't very diplomatic. And he said, well, once I become president, I will then become diplomatic. However, I really have not seen that occur. So, I mean, he's kind of showed us who he is. I don't think he will ever concede. He will say this is a stolen election. He will say it is rigged in the states, you know, like Georgia, that he was expecting to win. There will be everything wrong. There will be lawsuits, I think, for years and years and years to come. And that's fine. I personally think that we do not need you to concede. I have heard and I have read that there's a little element of sort of vulnerability that occurs when an a leader doesn't concede to the next leader because it just shows the United States in a bit of weakness. So I think from maybe a national security standpoint, if that is true, he should certainly concede. But he does not live by anybody else's rules. So I have no expectation of him to concede whatsoever. And I stand by Stacey Abrams still not conceding to this day. Uh, so if she doesn't have to concede, I suppose he doesn't either. I will be fair in that regard. Uh, you know, it, it is it is what it is. I mean, he doesn't have to concede. Here's, my biggest thing is, it's not even about the concession for me. So let's let's talk about this. There are things that are happening now that are blocking the new president-elect from moving forward with what he needs to do, meaning his transition into going into office. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of things. You know, funding. Funding is one of the things that happens when there is a uh, clear winner and there is a new president-elect that will be inaugurated and sworn in in January. So right now, there's still lawsuits out. We still have recounts. So we have a transition team ready to do things and put things in place for Joe Biden, right? They can't do those things right now because the sitting president is has this, these things tied up. He, Joe Biden can't even get funding or messages from other countries through the State Department because all this stuff is being tied up through the sitting president. Well, I think, okay, there's, there's something interesting to that because I think there's a part of tradition that needs to change. And the day and age of information being immediately ready, 
There are ways for countries and leaders to get messages to Joe Biden that maybe aren't as traditional. This transition, no matter how it comes, should he concede, should he not, is not going to be normal. This isn't going to be smooth. And we understand that. So I think if the expectation is things go about as normal and then I fall in line, then we're going to be very behind. I mean, they just have to roll with the punches. They have to begin meeting. I mean, you know, they're lucky it's a virtual world anyway. You're not physically getting into the spaces, I imagine, as you would. And you're going to have to just go with that. I mean, you, you cannot make this more normal. You just can't. Yeah. I mean, well, for the most part, I think that some of the messages that are coming, you know, we, we have to understand that other countries communicate through our leadership in certain ways. And I feel as though some of the the communication with our new president-elect it is very important and vital, especially in this day and with what's going on. You know, I can't keep saying it enough with the pandemic. You know, he needs to get some of this information from other world leaders about what's going on. Um, I think the, communica- the communication is key. He needs that. And for it to be blocked and especially financially with him not being, you know, the GSA releases funds for him to be able to start to do certain things with his transition team. And those are being blocked, of course, is being ran by a Republican. And right now they just will not let anything happen for Joe to, to, so, to, to move forward. So I, it's very petty, very, very petty as to see what's going on. And I, I do want to move forward because we, we, we're, we're running up against the mark and I want, I do want to talk about the Senate races here in Georgia. So I, we, we could talk, for quite a while about the pre- the the general election with the presidency and how it's going. And we'll come back, we'll do another episode and we'll talk about, you know, how things have progressed moving forward here, I guess. But just let's, let's talk about the Senate race here in Georgia and what's going on. I think, you know, for us, this is billed as like the big, since I've been voting, this is the biggest, biggest, I'm sorry, Senate race. This is a runoff here. And, and I want to go maybe in the next episode, we talk about, how we got here to the runoff because mm-hmm. I've, I've been reading a lot about runoffs, right. And how they actually happen and why they happen, but not to go into that too deep because that would be, you know, that take a lot of time to talk about, but we in the runoff now we're here now. Yes, Raphael here. Warnock against Kelly, Raphael Warnock against Kelly Leffler, David Perdue against John Ossoff. This is like I said, this, this is almost more, I want to say this is more important than the actual president's election because this, this, this there are a lot of things riding on this. The, yes. the, this well, this Joe runoff. Biden is going to need the support. Uh, he's he needs those two Senate seats. Um, he needs them desperately, and I'm actually concerned about the Senate races because the mobilization and you know we sort of joke about this in the black community, like okay, you asked me to go out and vote and I did it. However, we need you to come out, and this is the people, this is people everywhere. We need you to come out and vote again on January 5th. It is so important. And I don't know if the Democratic Party has enough huspa, really, to get to the right people to have them come out and do it again. Because if I were a campaign manager, either for Ossoff or for Warnock, I would be tapping into every black celebrity in the Atlanta area, every rapper, all of these people that have huge social medias, and we would be talking about getting people to the votes again. And honestly, I've seen a few very nice commercials, but I don't see a real push. And I think just as we learned from 
Uh, the presidential election, you need the black vote in the metropolitan Atlanta area, and they need to come start tapping us on the shoulder uh, starting today. There, there's a push. There's a push. I think there, there's a push. Not a, a very big push. Now, here's one well, of the things I can't say. Well, there, well, there's been a lot of money that has been raised. Mm-hmm. A fair fight with with Stacey Abrams' movement. She's raised a lot of money, and I think that the money that she's raised is being split between the two campaigns for John Ossoff and and and, and Reverend Warnock. Um, so that's because let's be, let's be realistic about this, okay? Campaigns are won financially, okay? Let's let's make no qualms about it. Well, now, yeah, now, they're, now, they're, they're, the, yes, but the problem is. Uh, we're talking, you know, when we're talking about Kelly Loeffler, you're talking about someone who's got a net worth of put her 25, own. 25 yeah, yeah, million. She, and this yeah, is she, what she we know. Put her own money up there. Right. Her yeah, husband. She's, she's putting, yeah. Right. Her husband is something else. We don't even really know how much Kelly Loeffler has. And we don't know, you know, they're notorious for not using their own money. But when you've got $25 million, your neighbor normally does too. So, I am hoping that it's not just money in these races. I think that's the difference between Atlanta and every place else, except for maybe Philadelphia. We have power in numbers and we have a network here that you don't have other places. So if it's going to take money, we might be in trouble. One, there's not a lot of time in terms of campaign to raise money between now and January 5th. But what we do, we have a plethora of people that we can tap on and we can get to the vote, uh, the voting polls. And that's what we've got to do. The, the Kelly Loeffler, if it comes down to money, that would frighten me. Well, I think grassroots wise, we, we've been able to, it's, it's the, the, the old going back to what president uh, Obama was able to do with some of his grassroots campaigns and raising money, you know, the little old ladies donating the five and, and 10 and $25, they were able to do quite a bit up against some of the, the bigger uh, financial backings from the, the right side candidate. Right. So I think financially will be okay. I think financially it has a lot to do with what will happen. And yes, we have seen here in Georgia, you know, some campaign ads and, and very strongly things run, but financially it's going to be key. And yes, we're, we're all going to have to mobilize. And I think the word of mouth here in the metro area, because let's, let's be realistic. This is where it's going to be one. It's going to be one in the metro area uh, again. And, you know, if it holds up after the recount, Joe Biden won the state of Georgia due to the metro Atlanta area. This is where it's going to lie. This is where it's going to end up. Like, like you said, I think it's going to come. I think it's the, there's going to be a push. Uh, they're strategizing now. I mean, to get to this point, it's something, you know, we knew Raphael Warnock was probably going to be in this position against Kelly Leffler. We didn't know until several days after, you know, county uh, absentee ballots that we inched up to get uh, John Ossoff into the runoff as well against David Perdue. So, you know, this is going to be, it's going to be crucial. It's very important. It's going to be crucial, but I, I mean, we have got to mobilize. We have very little time on the clock and it has to happen. I mean, it's got to be all out full court. I mean, the saying is when they go low, we go high. I don't know if that's going to work here. I think that the way that Kelly is attacking Warnock, they better do something about it. You've got to find a weakness in them and you have to expose it. I mean, this is not for the faint of heart. She, she kind of, there's a lot of things about her where she kind of missed the mark. And I think that she's already kind of behind the eight ball, but long story short, I think I just want to ask you this in general. Do you think 
Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff are the stronger candidates to run against these uh, Republicans. Do you think th- these this is the this is the strongest that we have to go against? Because I've I've, I've looked at both of the I've, well, I have Raphael Warnock for me as a representative for me as a black man in this state. I think this is one of the greatest things I've seen as far as a senator to represent me. I'm just speaking for me for as a black man. Where he comes from, comes from Savannah, came from public housing. You know, he's one of, I think, 12 siblings. Um, He made his way. He went to Morehouse College. And, you know, it's a great story if you haven't went and, and, you know, I say you Google uh, Raphael Warnock and and where he's come from and what he's done. He represents everything I want to see in the Senate and and where I want to be. You know, I'm behind him 100%. John Ossoff. I, I don't know. I've, I've been reading and doing some research. I mean, he doesn't look like me. I, his background doesn't probably mirror mine. Am I going to support him? I'm there. I'm there with him, but I just need to see more and I need to understand like where he is and where, you know, of course, how is this going to all pan out for my community? But I'm, I'm, I'm there, but I just. No, I think you're right to ask that. Absolutely. Yes. But I think that your, your, our community will weather much better, not under Purdue (laughs) and certainly not under Kelly. I mean, I can say, you know, I I guess I've followed Kelly ever since I knew that she was um, tapped by uh, Isaacson. Um, And I was like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. Why would somebody with this much money uh, want to even do this? It's power. You you can do whatever. It's power. Um, And then when... Sure. And then when she attached herself to Trump, which was not even favorable at the time, it was one of his lower rating time, I thought, okay, this is getting even more interesting. Um, And then I hear that she's been donating millions of dollars to black organizations. And I don't know if that was to buy the vote, but I happen to know someone who literally got $1 million from Kelly Loeffler for their nonprofit. And I am blown away by that because she has not seemed to be interested in communities that don't look like hers. Um, so I find that very strange. And it's it's more what I can't see with Kelly. There's, there's so much there that I cannot see. It kind of scares me. Um, and Purdue is just a good old Georgia boy. And listen, they're going to have to go to Alabama because the days here in Georgia, you know, it's so there is it's not yeah. it's not ever going to be the they, same. They, like it's going to be very hard. They they've, tra- they've drawn their lines in the stand. If you if you go and you Google, I mean they, they're you know Kelly Leffler is as conservative as you can get. She's made it clear. If you go to her website and you look at some of you know her platform and her ideology, she's very conservative. So is is David Perdue. So they, we in for a showdown. It's gonna be it's gonna be a, a, a bloody knuckles fight here. Well, we just need people to get out and vote. We need people to do their research and get out and vote. And like you said, go to their websites. When you go to their website, see if you can identify with what people are talking about. I mean, that's really what absolutely, it absolutely. Out. It's gonna be a fight, nonetheless. It's gonna be like I said. I I'm saying it's gonna be a bloody knuckles, knock them, sock them, drag out fight for the Senate. Right? I I think we're gonna see Donald, uh, yeah, the sitting president, come down. Even, even, because there, there are a lot of things strategically that, that that are happening in the Republican Party. He, of course, we know he's on the way out, but still, the Republican Party are doing a lot of things strategically. So he's going to probably come down and campaign for Leffler and Purdue. We know that we know that the Democrats are going to bring out their heavy hitters. We expect to see President Obama come back probably to Georgia and campaign. We already, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Aisha 
one of the presidential candidates, if I'm not, uh, was it Wayne? Was it Andrew Wayne? Wayne, uh, I think he already said that he's moving here. Did you did you see that? Oh, wonderful. Yeah, for for right for you know temporarily, I, I think he's moving here um, to 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 help with the the Senate races. I think he said that you know. Well, come on, Yang Gang, we can use your help. <laughs> yeah, really, they should all move yeah. here. Um, Buttigieg and Beto O'Rourke, all of these people come. Yes, every listen, come set up shop. Over the next couple of months, you can go home for Christmas and then you need to return because we need all hands on deck. We need celebrities. We need all of the above. Really. I mean, this is extremely important. It's very important. And all eyes are going to be here on the great state of Georgia and especially here in the metro area. Shout out. Hey, I can't before I end up. So I can't, you know, I would be remiss if I shout out to Clayton County, like Clayco, as we call it here in, 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 in Georgia, Clayco, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Fulton County is always where I stay. Full County, I specifically stay in South Fulton County. Shout out to them. Shout out to the Cab. You know Gresham Road, yes. Uh, yes. Glenwood. You know mm-hmm. Flat Shows, uh, Snapping. Yes. All the. Let, let me tell you something. They All have been that. instrumental in in doing big things and and pushing this state blue. And we don't want to be forgotten about. We don't want to be forgotten about uh, when when things uh, continue to to move forward. Because we 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 are putting the Democrats in places, and we want to hey we want to be heard. We want things addressed in our communities in our neighborhoods. Because we put you we put you in those seats, and ultimately, if these Senate seats get held by the Democrats, hey, it's gonna be the same people yeah. that put you there. Absolutely. So yeah, we're gonna go ahead, uh, yes. Aisha. I appreciate you coming on, talk, you know, getting uncomfortable talking oh, about politics. Go ahead me. and tell the people where they can find you. Oh, nice and easy at Aisha Stith, S-T-I-T-H on Instagram. Then I have all my links there. So come check me out. Thank you, Leo. I love it here. All right. That's awesome. We'll definitely come back and do another episode. As always, you can check the Leo G Show out on Twitter. That's the Leo G Show, the number one uh, on Twitter. You can also do uh, check me out. That's at Southern Set on Twitter. Um, also, I give a shout out to my co-host, Jay, who was not able to be here. You can always catch him at adjective underscore J. He's probably somewhere chumping the centrist off right now on Twitter. So you can catch him there. You can also check him out on Frown Town, his Frown Town podcast. Uh, you can check that out. He gets very political with that. And also check him out on Jay Jones, uh, Jay Jones Comedy uh, dot com. I think you check him out there. He has some, some comedy stuff coming up here too. So you can check out that link and get with him. So we'll, we'll definitely come back and um, we'll visit this uh, political, political, uh, uncomfortable, un- get uncomfortably political again. Look here. how uncomfortable you are. Look, exactly. Right. <laughs> again, and talk about the, uh, the center race here in Georgia and what, what's going to happen next with the, uh, the general election with the presidency as well. This has been another edition of the Leo G Show. Appreciate you.